0: For listeners who are blind, have low vision, or have another print disability, which makes reading, holding a book, or turning a page difficult or impossible. The content is copyrighted by the respective publishers. For more information, please visit us on the web at nfradioreading.org.
1: Hello, this is Gardenia, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the Niagara Falls Review 2023 on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. In the United States, Tennessee Judge, Parents at School Could Try to Keep Shooter's Writing Secret by Travis Lawler and Jonathan Matisse, The Associated Press, Thursday, May 25, 2023. Above image, an entrance to the convent school is seen Wednesday, May 24, 2023, in Nashville, Tennessee. The school is a site where a deadly shooting in March took the lives of three nine-year-olds and three adults. A Tennessee judge has ruled that a group of parents can have their say in a lawsuit over the writings of a shooter who killed six people at their children's school. The judge ruled Wednesday night that the convent school parents have a right to intervene against other groups that want the shooter's writings, along with some other documents in the police investigation, released according to the Tennessee Public Records Act. Journalists, a state senator, a law enforcement non and gun rights organization, have been rebuffed by Nashville police, who say the records are part of an active investigation. However, Police have indicated that they do not plan to release the shooter's writings eventually. A declaration filed recently in the court case by police lieutenant Brent Gibson estimated that it could be 12 months before the case is closed. At a Monday hearing on the consolidated requests, an attorney for a group of Convent School parents argued that they that they and their children are crime victims was protections under the state constitution that includes the right to be free from harassment, intimidation, and abuse throughout the criminal justice system. Releasing the shooter's writing could violate these rights, Eric Osborne argued. He said parents have a real fear of a repeat shooting at the private Christian school, and their constitutional rights take precedence over mere statutory rights, like the right to access public records. Chancery Court Judge Aisha Miles, also allowed the intervention of the convent school and convent Presbyterian Church, whose building houses the school, after their lawyers said their primary concern is preventing the release of any information that could jeopardize security, such as detailed drawings of their facilities. Those fighting to make the records public include Republican State Senator Todd Gardenhire, who filed a joint petition, was a Tennessean Newspaper. More than 60 Tennessee House Republicans have called for their release, but Hire is the only one of them who has filed a suit. The lawmakers have said the shooter's writing could provide valuable insights as they prepare for a special session called by Governor Bill Lee, who is pushing to remove firearms from people judged dangerous to themselves or others. Lawmakers declined to make to take up Lee's proposal during the legislative session that ended last month. State law gives members of the General Assembly access to records held by the Tennessee Bureau of Inve- Investigation if a legislative committee approves it through a resolution. To date, no lawmakers have requested to view the confidential investigative file, TBI spokesperson Joss Devine said. Gardenhier said in a statement, it should not take an active legislator to secure public records unlawfully withheld from the people of Tennessee. Lee, meanwhile, is allowed as governor to view the investigative file under the state law, but the Republican doesn't plan to look at the documents before local law enforcement officials provide clarity on them, said his spokesperson, Jade Byers. Police have said the shooter, Audrey Hale, has been planning the massacre for months. Hale fired one hundred and fifty two rounds during the attack before being killed by police. Hale was under a doctor's Hale was under a doctor's care for an undisclosed emotional disorder. Police said, however, authorities haven't disclosed a link between that care and the march twenty seventh shooting killed in the attack were Evelyn. Dick House, Haley Scruggs, and William Kinney, all nine years old. The three adults killed were Catherine Coontz, 60, the head of the school, and custodian Mike Hill, and substitute teacher Cynthia Peake, who were 61. In the United States, Delaware woman pleads guilty to killing three-year-old daughter dumping remains on softball field by Randall Chase, the Associated Press, Thursday, May 25, 2023, a Delaware woman is facing decades in prison after pleading guilty to killing her three-year-old daughter and dumping her burned remains on a softball field. Christy Haas, 31, pleaded guilty Thursday to murder by abuse or neglect, abuse of a corpse, and three counts of endangering the welfare of a child. Prosecutors are recommending a sentence of 50 years in prison on the murder charge, Suspended for non custodial supervision after 30 years behind bars. The murder charge carries a maximum sentence of life in prison. Prosecutors are recommending probation for the other counts and will drop several other felony and misdemeanor charges. Yes, Your Honor, has repeatedly intoned softly as Superior Court Judge Noel Primos asked whether she understood the nature of the charges and the consequences of entering a guilty plea. At the request of attorneys, Promose, who is not bound by the sentencing recommendation, deferred sentencing until July 10th, the date on which a trial for Haas was to begin, Prosecutor Kevin Smith said the delay will allow time for relatives of the victim, Emma Grace Cole, to make arrangements to travel from out of state to attend the sentencing. Attorneys, in the meantime, will prepare a sentencing memoranda, Smith said. Prosecutors are recommending a mental health evaluation of Haas. Defense attorney Patrick Collins told the judge that Haas is already being treated for bipolar disorder and depression. She is current on her medications, he said. The defense and prosecution disagree on whether Haas should be barred from having any contact with her three other children as recommended by prosecutors or whether she should be allowed to contact pursuant to court orders. Collins declined to comment as he left the courtroom. The court entered a partial gag order in in June 2021 restricting what attorneys could say about the case which has drawn widespread media attention. The child's body was found in September 2019 by a person walking a dog through Smyrna Clayton Little Lass Fields, a softball park near Smyrna Middle School in central Delaware. At the time, Emma lived with her parents and siblings less than a mile from the ball field. Authorities believe Emma has been, had been dead for several weeks before her body was found. Hawes and her husband, Brandon Hawes, who was a child's stepfather, were arrested in pennsylvania in october 2020 more than a year after the child's body was found both were originally indicted on felony charges of child abuse child endangerment and hindering prosecution involving emma's death as well as misdemeanor child endangerment charges involving her siblings christy haas also was charged with felony assault abusing a corpse and reckless burning The charges against her were later upgraded to include two counts of murder. Authorities alleged that the couple withheld food and medical care from Emma and subjected her to torture or maltreatment, while also subjecting her and her siblings to excessive forced exercise and inappropriate physical discipline. A trial for Brandon Hawes is set to begin July 10th. He faces more than 40 years in prison, if convicted, on all charges. In the United States, chirping sounds lead to airport officials to bag filled with smuggled parrot eggs by Frida Frizzaro, The Associated Press, Thursday, May 25, 2023. Above image, a young, yellow-napped Amazon parrot bites a cell phone being used to record video, inside an enclosure at the Rare Species Conservatory Foundation in Loxahatchee, Florida, Friday, May 19, 2023. The 24 bright green baby parrots began chirping and bobbing their heads the second anyone neared the large cages that have been their homes since hatching in March. The Central American natives, seized from a smuggler at Miami International Airport, are being raised by the Rare species conservatory foundation, a round-the-clock effort that includes five hand feedings a day, in a room filled with large cages. At just nine weeks, these parrots have already survived a harrowing journey after being snatched from their nests in a forest. They are almost fully feathered now, and the staff have started transitioning them from a special formula to, to a diet of food pellets and fruit. You ready to meet the children? asked Paul Rieo, a Florida International University professor and director of the foundation, as he led Visitors Friday into a small building tucked behind a sprawling house in Loxahatchee, a rural community near West Palm Beach. They are hand-raised babies, he said, as a chick squawked and looked inquisitively at the visitors. they have never seen Mom and Dad. They've been raised by us since they hatched. It was the hatchling's faint chirping inside a carry-on bag at the Miami airport that brought them to the attention of a U.S. Customs and Border Protection officer. The passenger, Passenger, Tao Tawu, had just arrived at TACA Airlines flight 392 from Managua, Nicaragua on March 23rd and was changing flights in Miami to return home to Taiwan, according to a criminal complaint filed in U.S. District Court in Miami. Officers stopped Wu at the checkpoint. He was about—he was asked about the sand coming from his bag, which Rayo later described as sophisticated temperature-controlled cooler. Wu reached in and pulled out a small bag and showed the officer an egg, the complaint said. The officer then looked inside and saw more eggs and a tiny fuzzless bird that had just hatched. He told the officer there were 29 eggs and that he did not have documentation to transport the birds, according to the complaint. Wu was arrested and on May 5th pleaded guilty to charges of smuggling birds into the United States. He faces up to 20 years in prison when he sentenced August 1st. A lawyer who could speak on his behalf was not listed on court records, but Wu told investigators through a Mandarin interpreter that a friend had paid him to travel from Taiwan to Nicaragua to pick up the eggs. He denied knowing what kind of birds they were. The officer took the bag and contacted the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. By then, eight of the birds had already hatched or were in the process of hatching. It didn't take long for federal federal officials to reach out to Rieo. They didn't know what these things were and wanted my advice on it, Rieo said. Baby parrots are featherless, so it's difficult to properly identify them. He helped set up a makeshift incubator in the U.S. Department of Agriculture's aviary at the airport in a mad dash to save the now-hatching parrots. The next day, Dr. Stacy McFarlane, a USDA veterinarian who initially tended to the birds and the eggs at the airport and other officials, delivered the baby parrots and remaining eggs to Rio's conservatory. At that point, we were off to the races," he said. "We've got all these eggs. The chicks are hatching. The incubator's running. And by the time it all and by the time it was all said and done, we hatched 26 of the 29 eggs, and 24 of the 26 chicks survived. USDA regulations required the birds to be quarantined for 45 days, meaning that Rieo and his team had to scrub down when entering and leaving the room but they still weren't sure which of the 360 varieties of parrots they were dealing with. A forensics team at Florida International extracted DNA samples from the eggshells and the deceased birds to identify the species. They discovered the 24 surviving parrots were from 8 or 9 clutches and included two species, the Yellow-napped Amazon and the Red-lord Amazon. Those birds are popular in the trafficking and cage bird industry because they are pretty and have nice temperament, Rieo said. The trafficking pipeline out of Central America is well-established and has gone on for years, he said. In fact, the biggest threat to the parrots globally is a combination of habitat loss and trafficking, Rieo said, adding that about 90% of eggs are poached for illegal parrot trade. BirdLife International lists the yellow-napped Amazon as critically endangered, with a population in the wild of between one thousand and two hundred and fifty, two thousand five hundred. and 2,500, the Red Lord of Amazon is also listed as having a decreasing population. The vast majority of these trafficking cases end in tragedy, Rieo said. The fact that the chicks were hatching the first day of his travel from Managua to Miami tells you that it's extremely unlikely that any of them would have survived, and he actually had he actually gotten all the way to his destination in Taiwan. That would have been another 24 to thirty-six hours of travel. Rio is now faced with the challenge of finding a permanent home for the birds, which can live 60 to 70 years or longer. He said he's working with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services on a plan to have the birds fly free and help restore their species in the wild. Parrots live a long time. They are sentient creatures, They're highly intelligent, very social, and these guys deserve a chance, he said. The question will be, where will they wind up? What is their journey going to be? It's just the beginning. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Niagara Fall Review, 2023, on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. In the United States, Austin Hope's F-16 fight jet training for Ukrainian pilots Will begin in coming weeks by Lolita C. Boulder and Tara Kopp, The Associated Press, Thursday, May twenty-five, two thousand twenty-three. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said Thursday he hopes that the, he hopes that training for Ukrainian pilots on American-made F-16 fighter jets will begin in the coming weeks, bolstering Ukraine in the long run, but not necessarily as part of an anticipated spring counteroffensive against Russia. Austin spoke as defense leaders from around the world assembled for a viral meeting to discuss the ongoing military support for Ukraine. They were expected to talk about which countries will provide f sixteens and how and where the pilot training will be done. The officials will also get an update on the war effort from Ukrainian leaders, including preparation for that anticipated counteroffensive and how the allies who have faced their own stockpile pressures, can continue to support Kiev's fight against Russia. We're going to have to dig deeper, and we're going to have to continue to look for creative ways to boost our industrial capability, Austin said, before the military leaders began their closed session. The stakes are high, but the the cause is just, and our will is strong. European countries have said they are talking about which countries may have some of the F 16s available. The United States had long balked at providing the advanced aircraft to Ukraine, and only last weekend did President Joe Biden agree to allow other nations to send their own US made jets to Kiev. We hope this training will begin in the coming weeks, Austin said. This will further strengthen and improve the capabilities of the Ukrainian Air Force in the long term, and it will. Com- complement our short-term and me- medium-term security agreements. The new joint effort sends a powerful message about our unity and our long-term commitment to Ukraine's self-defense. The leaders will also likely discuss Ukraine's other continuing military needs, including air defense systems and munitions, artillery and other ammunition. It was not immediately clear whether they will make any firm decisions on the f 16 F-16 issue, but initial steps have begun. Joseph Borrell, the European Union's foreign policy chief, said Tuesday that training for Ukrainian pilots had begun in Poland and some other countries through Polish Defense Minister Mariusz Plaza. The training was still in the planning phase. The Netherlands and Denmark, among others, are also making plans for training. We can continue and also finalize the plans that we're making with Denmark and other allies to start these, these trainings. And of course, that is the first step that you have to make. Dutch Defence Minister Kajsa Ollengren said, adding that initial discussions about who may have F-16s available to send is underway. Ukraine has long sought this sophisticated fighter to give it a combat edge as it battles Russia's invasion now in its second year. The Biden administration's decision was a sharp reversal after refusing to approve any transfer of the aircraft or conduct training for more than a year because of worries that doing so could escalate tensions with Russia. U.S. officials also had argued against the F-16 by saying, that learning to fly and logistically support such an advanced aircraft would be difficult and take months. Air Force Brake General Pat Ryder, the Pentagon press secretary, said this week that the U.S. decision on the F-16 was part of a broader long-term commitment to meet Ukraine's future military needs. He said the jets would not be relevant in any counteroffensive expected to begin shortly. In the United States, explainer, U.S. debt ceiling explained why politicians are struggling to reach a deal and what happens if they don't. The White House and House Republicans are working to reach a compromise before June 1st, when the government could run out of cash to pay its bills. By Mary Claire Jalanick, The Associated Press, Lisa Mascaro, Colleen Long. Wednesday, May 24th, 2023. Above image, U.S. President Joe Biden meets with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy about the debt ceiling in the Oval Office of the White House in Washington, D.C. on May 22nd, 2023. Pushing to strike a debt ceiling deal, the Republican negotiating team headed Wednesday to the White House for more discussions with the sides still far apart. Time is short. There are just days before the government could run out of cash to pay its bills. The White House and House Republicans are working to reach a budget compromise before June 1st, when, when Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the country could run out of cash to pay the nation's bills. A debt default would be potentially devastating for the U.S. and global economy, depending on how long the standoff drags on. White House estimates say a prolonged default could cause 8.3 million job losses and a world-shaking recession, while a brief default could lead to 500,000 fewer jobs. Moody's Analytics has estimated that a default of no longer than a week would lead to the loss of 1.5 million jobs. President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy met Monday after a weekend of on-again-off-again negotiations. While both sides said it was a productive session, by Wednesday, McCarthy said he was sending his negotiating team to the White House, warning they were still far apart. McCarthy and Republicans are insisting on spending cuts in exchange for raising the debt limit. Biden has come to the negotiating table after balking for months, but says the GOP lawmakers Will have to back off their extreme positions. A look at the negotiations and why they are happening. What is the debt ceiling fight all about? Once a routine act by Congress, the vote to raise the debt ceiling allows the Treasury Department to continue borrowing money to pay the nation's already incurred bills. The vote is more recent times. The vote in more recent times has been used as a political leverage point, a must-pass bill. They can be loaded up with other priorities. House Republicans, newly empowered, in the majority this Congress are refusing to raise a debt to limit unless Biden and the Democrats impose federal spending cuts and restrictions on future spending. The Republicans say the nation's debt, now at $31 trillion, is unsustainable. They also want to attach other priorities, including... Stiffer work requirements on recipients of government cash aid, food stamps, and the Medicaid health care program. Many Democrats opposed those requirements. Biden had insisted on, on approving the debt ceiling with no strings attached, saying the U.S. always pays its bills and defaulting on debt is non negotiable. But facing the prospect of the government running out of money to cover all its bills, Biden launched negotiations with Republicans. Accompanying image, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy expresses his frustration with Democrats and President Joe Biden over the debt limit negotiations as he speaks to reporters in Statutory Hall at the Capitol in Washington, Wednesday, May 24, 2023. Is it close to being resolved, the talks have been a week-long seesaw of positive signs and rocky moments a grind. They are they are at odds over how to trim annual budget deficits. Republicans are determined to cut spending while Biden's team offered to hold spending levels flat. Biden wants to increase some taxes on the wealthiest Americans and some big companies. But McCarthy said early on that it is, that it is out of the question, but reaching an agreement is only part of the challenge. Any deal would have to pass the Republican-led House and Democratic-Majority Senate with significant bipartisan support. In the end, leaders from both parties will need to muscle it over the finish line. What are the hang-ups? Republicans have dropped their demand to roll back spending to 2022 levels, but say spending next year, 2024, must be less than it is today. They also want to cap spending for the next decade. Democrats aren't willing to go that far to actually cut federal spending. The White House has instead proposed freezing spending at the current 2023 levels. There are also policy priorities under consideration, including steps that could help speed the construction and development of energy projects that both Republicans and some Democrats want. Democrats have strenuously objected to a Republican push to impose stiffer work requirements on people who received government aid through food stamps, Medicaid, health care, and the cash assistance programs. Biden, though, has kept the door open to some discussion over over work requirements. What is a timeline for all of this? Treasury says it will run out of money as soon as June 1st. Yellen said Wednesday it's almost certain the U.S. would default by early June if no action is taken. It's hard to pinpoint an exact date the government would start missing payments because tax revenues and expenditures vary from day to day. McCarthy has promised that he will allow 72 hours for lawmakers to look over any proposed deal before it is brought for a vote so the soonest the House could vote at this point is over the weekend. It would then have to go to the U.S. Senate next week, where Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, D.N.Y., has said it could pass more quickly. But it's a crunch time. And before the legislative text can be reviewed, it needs to be written, and a deal needs to be made. What happens if they don't raise the debt ceiling? A government default would be unprecedented and devastating to the nation's economy. Yellen and economic experts have said it could be catastrophic. There isn't really a blueprint for what would happen, but it would have far-reaching effects. Yellen has said it would destroy jobs and businesses and leave millions of families who rely on federal government payments to likely go unpaid, including Social Security beneficiaries, veterans, and military families. More than 8 million people could lose their jobs, government officials estimate. The economy could nosedive into a recession. A default could cause widespread suffering as Americans lose the income that they need to get by, she said. Disruptions to federal and government operations would impact air traffic control and law enforcement, border security and national national defense, and food safety. Their backup plan if talks fail. Some Democrats want Biden to raise the debt ceiling on his own, without help from Republicans. Progressives have urged Biden to invoke a clause in the Constitution's 14th Amendment that says the validity of public debt in the United States shall not be questioned. Default, the argument goes, is therefore unconstitutional. Supporters of Unilateral actions say Biden already has the authority to effectively nullify the debt limit if Congress won't raise it. The president has resisted that option, which raises legal issues. Biden said Sunday, it's a question that I think is unresolved as to whether he could act alone. In Congress, meanwhile, House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries has launched a process that would discharge the debt ceiling issue to the House floor forcing a vote on raising the limit. That, however, is an unlikely option as a handful of Republicans would have to defy McCarthy and their leadership to join the Democrats' effort. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Niagara Falls Review 2023 on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. In World... Woman Who Fled U.S. to Keep Custody More Than a Decade Ago, Says Her Lawyer Encouraged Flight By Wilson Ring, The Associated Press, Wednesday, May 24, 2023 Above image, in this April 17, 2008 file photo, Lisa Miller speaks about her custody battle at a news conference following arguments during her court case in Richmond, in Richmond. Miller, who left the United States for more than a decade with her child to avoid sharing custody of her daughter, was her former same-sex partner. A Virginia, a Virginia woman who left the United States for more than a decade with her child to avoid sharing custody of her daughter was her former partner, says her lawyer suggested she flee. In a document filed May 19th in a federal court in Vermont, As part of a long-running civil case, Lisa Miller outlined what led her to leave the country in September 2009 with her then seven-year-old daughter, when it was becoming clear she would lose custody of the girl to her former partner, Janet Jenkins, of Fairhaven, Vermont. The filing is the latest chapter in a more than two-decade-long legal saga that began in 2000 when Miller and Jenkins were joined in a Vermont civil union, the first statewide legal recognition of same-sex couples. Their daughter, Isabella, was born to Miller in 2002. The couple split up in 2003. The Vermont Family Court gave custody of, Iso- of Isabella to Miller, but gave Jenkins regular visitation. Over the years, Miller wouldn't comply was the court-ordered visitations. There, was a, there were a series of legal decisions as Miller sought full custody that went against her in favour of Jenkins. Miller said in her statement that during a summer 2009 meeting with Attorney Rena Lindvaldison to discuss upcoming appeals in the legal case, Lindvaldison said something like, I am going to take my lawyer hat off now, and put on my friend hat. Linda Baldison then asked Miller about leaving, telling me that if Isabella was her child, then she would leave. Miller said in the statement, she pressed the issue, and I told her that I was leaving if plans would solidify, but that no date was set. At the at the end of the meeting, Miller said, Linda Baldison, Offered to take care of her financial needs after she left using proceeds from a book about the case Linda Waldison was planning to write. The book, Only When Mommy, was published in 2011. Linda Waldison, who described herself as a defender of traditional marriage, is a law professor at the Liberty University School of Law in Lynch, Lynchburg, Virginia. Linda Waldison's biography on the school website. So she served as, senior, as a senior litigation counsel to Liberty Council, which had provided legal representation to Miller until her disappearance. The council describes itself as a Christian ministry that is known for promoting conserv- conservative causes. In September 2009, Miller left the United States by crossing the Peace Bridge at Buffalo, New York. Miller and her daughter were picked up on the Canadian side and taken to the Toronto airport where they flew to Nicaragua. Horatio G. Mayet, who is one of Linda Waldeson's attorneys and vice president of legal affairs and chief litigation counsel at Liberty Council, denied in an email on Tuesday that the conversation Miller recounted took place. Miss Linda Waldison and Liberty Council cons- consistently advised Lisa Miller that she had an obligation to comply with the court's orders. Myatt said, Lisa Miller's decision to leave the country was without the knowledge of Miss Linda Waldison or Liberty Counsel. Any suggestion to, to the contrary is outright false. Miller's attorneys didn't respond Wednesday to a request for comment. Sarah Starr, the Vermont attorney who represents Jenkins in the civil case, declined comment Wednesday when asked about the filing. The document signed by Miller and submitted to court last week was part of a settlement to a civil case filed against Miller and others by Jenkins in 2012. Miller agreed to outline her version of the events that led her to flee the country. The civil suit also named Linda Waldison, the, Liber- the Liberty Council, and others. The settlement agreement and the proffer were both signed by Miller and Miller miller on march 21st it was included as part of a motion by linda valdison and the liberty council on may 19th to have the civil suit against them dismissed the agreement was marked confidential but a footnote in the motion to dismiss said miller's attorney provided it to them with jenkins consent without any agreement to restrict its use and without first seeking any protective order in the proffer, Miller outlined that she would say that what she would say during an upcoming disposition planned for later this summer. she offered details of her flight that had not previously been made public in two thousand nine. She was handed a slip of paper during a service at a Virginia church that had a name and a phone number. Miller said two days afterward and before meeting with Linda, Linda Waldeson, she called the number and ended up meeting with two men who later helped her flee. Those two men and a third person eventually served prison sentences for helping Miller. Lisa Miller voluntarily returned to the United States from Nicaragua in January 2021. After her daughter had turned 18, she was arrested on arrival. In February 2022, Miller pleaded guilty to a single charge of intent of international parental kidnapping she was later sentenced to time served and has since been released in 2021 miller in, indicated in a court filing that isabella miller now 21 was living in virginia and working on a farm north of charlottesville owned by a mennonite family in the united states police teenager dies during media stunt on los angeles bridge by associated press Wednesday, May 24th, 2023. Above image, cars move along the 6th Street Viaduct in Los Angeles Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. Police say a 17-year-old boy slipped and fell to his death this weekend while climbing a Los Angeles bridge in an apparent social media stunt. A 17-year-old boy fell to his death this weekend while climbing a Los Angeles bridge in an apparent social media stunt, police said. Police were sent to the 6th Street Viaduct around 2 a.m. Saturday and found the boy, who was pronounced dead, at a hospital. His name wasn't immediately released. The team slipped and fell when climbing upon one of the arches in order to post, apparently, a social media broadcast, Police Chief Michael Moore said Tuesday during a meeting of the Los Angeles Police Commission. The bridge opened last July. The 588 million span, which replaced a 84-year-old Art Deco span, runs 3,500 feet, 1,066.80 meters over the concrete-lined Los Angeles River and connects downtown to the historic East Side. The bridge, which has thousands of LED lights and views of LA skyline, is the largest and most expensive span ever built in the city. It was designed to become a city landmark. But police closed the bridge several times after it quickly became a hot spot for street racing, graffiti, and illegal takeovers that drew hundreds of spectators to watch drivers perform dangerous stunts in their vehicles. Social media stunts abounded as well. In one case, a man sat in a barber chair for a haircut in the middle of the lanes. A man who also fatally shot a man was also fatally shot on the bridge in January during an unauthorized filming of a music video. Tragically, we see that location. While it has spawned a great deal of pride in Los Angeles, it has unfortunately served as a backdrop now for tragedies such as this. Moore told the police commission, "Our added patrols will continue at that location." to counter such reckless actions. In the United States, three people killed when house explodes in South Dakota. Cause of blast is under investigation by the Associated Press, 1st day, May 25, 2023. The South Dakota State Fire Marshal's Office is investigating a house explosion that killed a young girl and her grandparents and left two young children hospitalized with burns. The house about 11 miles southwest of Fort Pier exploded around 10.20 a.m. Wednesday, Stanley County Sheriff Brad Rathman said. The sheriff said six months old Harper Hupp and her grandmother, Madonna Hupp, 61, died at the scene. William Hupp, 66, died at a hospital. A caring bridge site set up for the family says, A five-year-old boy suffered burns over 10% of his body, and a three-year-old was burned over 25% of his body. The children's parents were at work when the explosion occurred, Rathbun said. The home was completely destroyed. Rathbun said neighbors in the rural area heard the blast and alerted authorities. The South Dakota State Fire Marshal's Office in investigating the cause of the explosion. Rathbun said foul play is not suspected. In the United States, men killed while helping ducklings safely across busy California street. His family says it's no surprise that Cassie Rivera's final act was one of compassion. When he spotted a mama duck trying to guide her ducklings across a busy California intersection, Rivera stopped his car at a red light and got out to help them make it to safety. Above image, a memorial near the Stanford Ranch Plaza in Rockland, California, on Tuesday, May 23, 2023, the honor Casey Rivera, a man who died after being struck by a car last Thursday while helping a mama duck and her ducklings cross the street. His family says it's no surprise that Casey Rivera's final act was one of compassion. When he spotted a mama duck trying to guide her ducklings across a busy California intersection, Rivara stopped his car at a red light and got out to help them make it to safety. Rivara made sure traffic in all directions was stopped, witnesses said, then escorted the duck and her babies to the other side of the street around 8.15 p.m. last Thursday in suburban Rockland, northeast of Sacramento. All the ducks made it to safety across sa- all the ducks made it safely across, said eleven year old Jude Peterson. He was watching with a carpool group after track practice. He did something amazing. His good deed done, Rivera was walking back to his car when another vehicle came through the intersection and struck him. He flew through the air and landed in the street. The forty one year old father of two died at the scene. Casey was the kindest, most amazing husband and father. Even his last act in this world was a sign of his compassion, his aunt Tracy Rivera wrote on a verified GoFundMe page, raising money for his widow and their 11-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old son. Nearly $90,000 was raised by Tuesday afternoon. His family is trying to figure out how to recover and keep going after this immense loss, his aunt wrote. The family is trying to figure out the driver of the car that hit him, a 17-year-old girl, remained at the scene and is cooperating with investigators, said Rockland Police, Captain Scott Harillo. Detectives are still interviewing witnesses and reviewing video, he said, but it doesn't appear the teen driver will face charges. Right now, we don't have any reason to believe there was any criminal negligence, Harillo said Monday said Monday. He called it a tragic accident. Flowers adorned a growing memorial to Rivera at the accident site on Tuesday in Rockland, a city of about 73,000 people. Somebody also left several toy rubber ducks. Casey was married to Angel Chow, his high school sweetheart. The inseparable pair met at age 17 when she arrived at his high school as an exchange student from Hong Kong according to the GoFundMe page. His family was Casey's world, and to remain even closer to them, he had recently started working at their children's school. Tracy Rivera wrote, He loved working at the school as he was able to positively, positively impact other children. His wife said the family had been touched by the outpouring love and support from family, friends, co-workers, and community members. It's truly humbling to hear how Casey has positively impacted your lives, and we're extremely grateful for that, Chow wrote Monday on Facebook. She said she's planned to compile the tributes in a book that our children can turn to whenever they miss him. Jude Peterson, the young witness, said he was in shock and so scared after witnessing the tragedy. His mother, Summer Peterson, said Jude was in tears when he got home that night. By Monday, his mother said Jude had had processed his his shock and was filled with admiration for Rivera. He did the right thing, Jude said. He wanted to help because there were ducks in the road and he didn't want anyone to hit the ducks. Weber reported from Los Angeles Associated Press researcher Rhonda Schaffner contributed from New York. In the United States... Missouri man accused of deliberately crashing U-Haul truck into security barrier near White House. The 19-year-old said he was there to take over the government and wanted to kill President Joe Biden. Investigators say he was carrying a Nazi flag. A truck is seen, above image, a truck is seen crashed into a security barrier at a park across from the White House Monday night, May 23, 2023, in Washington. Police have arrested a man they believe intentionally crashed a U-Haul truck into a security barrier near the north side of Lafayette Square late Monday night. A Missouri man rented a U-Haul truck Monday evening and then crashed it into a security barrier across from the White House just a few hours later, authorities said Tuesday. The box truck's driver smashed into the barrier near the north side of Lafayette Square. On Monday around 10 p.m., the Secret Service said in a statement, he was identified as 19-year-old Sai Varishis Kandula of Chesterfield, Missouri at St. Louis Suburb. No one was injured in the crash. After the crash, Kundula exited the truck with a Nazi flag and started shouting as Park Police and the Secret Service officers approached him. Two people familiar with the matter told the Associated Press. When he was questioned by investigators, Kundula said he was there to take over the government and wanted to kill President Joe Biden. The people said the people were not authorized to publicly dis- discuss specific details of the investigation and spoke to the AP on condition of Mm -hmm. anonymity. Condula rented the U-Haul truck around 6.30 p.m. in Herndon, Virginia, and had a valid contract in his own name, the company said. People must be 18 to rent a truck from U-Haul, and there were no red flags on his rental record that would have prevented the contract According to U-Haul. a witness, Chris Zabulji, said the tr- said the driver smashed into the barrier at least twice. Zabulji, a 25-year-old pilot who lives in Washington, was finishing a run close, a run close by La- Lafayette Square, when was finishing a run close by Lafayette Square when he heard the loud crash of the u-haul truck hitting the barrier he said he took out his phone and captured the moment In the, tr- the truck struck the barrier again before he heard sirens approaching when the van backed up and rammed it again i decided i wanted to get out of there he said Officers from the Secret Service and the Metropolitan Police Department searched the truck after the crash. Video posted by WUSA TV shows a police officer at the scene picking up and inter inventorying several pieces of evidence from the truck, including a Nazi flag. Based on a pre- preliminary investigation, investigators believe the driver may have intentionally struck the security barrier of Lafayette Square, the Secret Service said. Authorities offered no additional details about a possible motive. The U.S. Park Police said Kundula was arrested on multiple charges, including threatening to kill, kidnap, or inflict harm on a president, vice president, or member of their family. Assault was a a dangerous weapon, reckless driving, destruction of federal property, and trespassing. Biden was briefed on the crash Tuesday morning by the Secret Service and Park Police. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said he's relieved that no one was injured injured last night, she said. The U.S. Secret Service monitors hundreds of people who have made threats to the President, but it's not clear whether Kandula was on their radar at, at all or if he had threatened the president before which would trigger the secret service's involvement no attorney was listed for a Kundula in court records multiple telephone numbers listed under his surname in public records were out of service an effort by the associated press to reach relatives who could speak on his behalf on tuesday were not immediately successful people at a missouri home listed as being associated with Kondula, would not speak was an AP reporter. Lafayette Square, which offers perhaps the best view of the White House available to the public, has long been one of the nation's most prominent venues for demonstrations. The park was closed for nearly a year after federal authorities fenced off the area at the height of nationwide protests over policing following the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, but it reopened in May 2021. U-Haul is a moving truck, re- trailer and self-storage rental company based in Phoenix. Associated Press writers Jim Salter in Chesterfield, Missouri, Colleen Long and Michael Balsamo in Washington, and news gathering producer Beatrice Dup- DuPai in New York contributed to this report. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Niagara Falls Review 2023 on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. In local news, protest of Niagara Falls drag story time fizzles. Demonstrators failed to show up for an event at Painted Turtle Pottery Studio. While Sue Wilkinson was rel- Was was relieved that a protest of a drag event at her business never materialized. She also thought it was a missed opportunity. By Richard Hutton, reporter, Monday, May twenty second, two thousand twenty three. Above image, children and children and children sit, children sit within children sit at a community center, ready to hear a story. "'I'm a little disappointed, but relieved at the same time,' she said, adding that by not turning out, people were opposed to the event, could have learned something. Wilkinson owns and operates the Painted Turtle Pottery Studio with her husband Bill. They were concerned after comments on a Facebook post about the event grew nastier by the minute, and the studio's phone began ringing off the hook, with people threatening to protest the event. "'I had a very sleepless night,' Wilkinson said. "'I didn't want the kids to be screamed and yelled at. "'But all was quiet outside the Queen Street business "'as a group of children and parents heard drag performer Diamond Hart "'read The World Needs More Purple People by Kristen Kristen Bell and Benjamin Hart "'and took part in creating a take-home craft.' Hart, A.K. anti-bullying advocate Justin Preston, was concerned as well. Entering the studio through its rear entrance, he was worried his bright pink attire would have made him a target of protesters. Like the shop owner, he was on the receiving end of hateful comments. People were saying, "I should be ashamed of myself." He said, "One person threatened to beat me up." It was all because he liked supportive. He liked a supportive comment on the event's Facebook page he was most distressed however by comments from people he considered friends they support my anti they support my anti bullying efforts but not so much this parent ashley kant Con- was there with her daughter scarlet who was dismayed by the backlash i've known justin for 15 years she said we're here to support him he's such a special I- a special individual In Crime, Police Investigating After a Young Man Stabbed in Penn Center. Police are investigating after two youths are suspected of stabbing a 20-year-old. By Matthew P. Barker, Standard Reporter, Monday, May 22, 2023. Above Image, Police Photo of Suspects in a Stabbing that Took Place in the Penn Center on Saturday. on Saturday. Niagara Regional Police are investigating after two youths are suspected of stabbing a 20-year-old in the Penn Center over the weekend. Niagara EMS Emergency Medical Services paramedics also attended the St. Catharines Shopping Center. The victim was transported to a local hospital to receive further care for minor injuries. Police determined the victim was walking through the mall when he was confronted by two individuals, both male, near the food court, A conversation took place and a male pulled a knife and stabbed the victim. The suspects were seen fleeing the scene through the mall, where they discarded a knife and left the property. Police described one suspect as white and who was wearing black jacket with a yellow cross body style bag, a blue or black baseball hat with a circular sticker on the rim, and a white slash gray slash black graffiti pattern hooded sweater, and a carry- and carrying a large paper bag. The other suspect is white, and was wearing a black hooded sweatshirt with the Toronto Raptors logo on the front, red and white, grey pants, and was carrying a purple graffiti-style skateboard. Both suspects are described as under the age of 18. The scene was processed by detectives from the Forensic Services Unit, and detectives continued to develop suspects' information, a police statement said. They have learned the suspects may have been involved in a theft-related incident with other youths in the mall prior to this incident. Detectives are appealing to anyone who may have had an interaction with the the suspects, witnessed this incident, or have any information to contact them by calling 905-688-4111, option 3, extension one zero zero. 9511 People can contact Crime Stoppers of Niagara anonymously online or by calling 1-800-222-8477. Crime Stoppers offers cash rewards to persons who contact the program with information which leads to an arrest. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the Niagara Falls Review 2023. Your reader has been Gardenia. Thank you for listening.
0: Many people feel that COVID isn't a deadly threat anymore. But if you're older. Or a person with disabilities getting COVID can still kill you.
1: Getting vaccinated is the best defense.
0: Against death or serious illness. Get vaccinated.
1: Get vaccinated. And boost
0: it. The COVID vaccine is still the safest, and most effective way to prevent serious illness or death.
1: Just ask your doctor. For more information about vaccines, call New York Connects at 888-564-5171. That's 888-564-5171.
0: The number of people in Erie County who are vaccinated against COVID-19 goes up each week. But we still have a long way to go to vaccinate our community and put this pandemic behind us. You can help. Start a conversation with your neighbor, your hairstylist, your nurse, your parents, your dentist, your kids, and ask if they are vaccinated yet. If they're not, I encourage them to call the Erie County Department of Health at 716-858-2929 to find out where they can go for their shot. The following program is intended for listeners who are blind, have low vision, or have another print disability,